May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Jesus answered them, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. This is part of the passage of Jesus' last speech, and so they are really important words. As I've said before, the last speech in a biography written around this time, and for lots of time before and after, uh, are crucial words. They establish the identity of the person. They establish, establish the honour, the mana of the person, uh, their legacy. Uh, in many ways, you would read the last words so that you could understand what happened in the rest of the story of that person. And so these are really important words. They define who Jesus is. They define his legacy. In the context of the passage, I actually added uh, a few extra verses. I added the, the question that led to what Jesus said. Uh, and then I added the two verses at the end, which says, Rise, let us go. Uh, so this feels like the last of the last words. In fact, there's three more chapters of last words, uh, which I'll come back to later. But in the first edition of the last words, these were the last words of the last words. So these were super important words. But they also raised for me some questions like, well, those who love me will keep my word. What is Jesus' word? How do we hear this word? What does it say to us? And how do we keep it? So I invite you to turn to your neighbours and have a conversation. Or if you don't have neighbours, go and find some neighbours and have a conversation. What is Jesus' word? How do we hear this word? What does it say to us? How do we keep it? How do we live out this passage? Have a conversation for a minute or two. So, as I said, this is uh, in the first edition, the end, the last of the last words. So that, that's an important thing. We, we live in a world where before a book goes to publishing, it gets, well, mostly, sometimes, uh, tidied up a lot. So uh, Cliff and Buddy's book uh, went through editors, um, lots of people reading it, kind of making sure it was knocked into shape, uh, Cliff having to rewrite sections. And then when it was finished in its final form, it kind of went, went to the printer. So that'll be published be released very soon, um, his, his latest book. But the Gospels were much, well, we can see this with John's Gospel, more organic. They grew out of the life of a community. So they were written for a community and they grew out of the life of that community. And so we can see how in John's Gospel it's not polished. So at the end of this chapter, the last verses I read, Jesus says, let us rise and then there's three more chapters of Jesus' teaching. So it would appear clearly that those three chapters of teaching were just inserted later on because the need arose. People weren't getting 
what was said in that gospel. And we can see that at the end of John's gospel, that uh, either John or somebody else, after the gospel clearly finishes at the end of chapter 20, we have chapter 21, uh, which is another set of stories. Um, And there's no attempt to tidy that up. They just kind of add it because people weren't so concerned about you know, the keeping the storyline clean and all the rest of it. It was the theology that was held in it that was important. So that's important for us to remember as we read these Gospels in particular. Um, and it's important to remember there are, that they operate at a number of different levels. So at the very basic level, uh, there's just the, the level of the story. So uh, there's the level of those who are in the story. So this is the story of the Last Supper. These people are gathered in a room with Jesus. And in John's Gospel, the forces of darkness, the forces of evil are gathering around them. They've known that for some time. When they return to Jerusalem, Thomas says, we will go with you and die with you. They know this is a perilous journey. Judas has just gone out into the night. They know what they they don't know what he's doing, but there's stuff going on. They get that. And so... All around the story is hopeless grief and disbelief and fear. Fear about how much are they going to get caught up in this? Are they going to end up on a cross as well? Or what happens to them in all of this? And in the midst of that, we have these strange words of hope that Jesus offers this morning. But as I said, these Gospels also come out of and are written for communities of faith. And we can see how those different communities, their context, the people who are in them, shape in many ways how the story of Jesus is told. They're all different how they're told. Uh, Mark is, uh, Jesus has fulfilled the law, we don't need to worry about it. So it's clearly a Gentile community. Whereas Matthew and Luke are much more that the, the law needs to be fulfilled. So there's a more Jewish Christian community involved. So even how they present what Jesus teaches is different. So in John's community, as I've said before, this is a community that was living a long time after the life of Jesus. Most people would say that this gospel is written um, 60 to 70 years after the death of Jesus. So John is a very old man, if it is the Apostle John. Uh, And it's, it's... Uh, in Patmos. It's a long way away in time and distance and culture. And he's writing out of and for a community of people where maybe if it is the Apostle, he's the only one that had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. But all of them have experienced the risen Christ in their midst. And so these words are written that both explain that and legitimize that. This is the piece where Jesus is telling them what's going to happen, that this is what's going to happen next. And so this is kind of explaining what they're experiencing. But he's also talking about how this gospel is written through the Holy Spirit so that they might be reminded of all that Jesus has said. This gospel is an enactment, the embodiment of, of what the words we heard today are all about. How, how does the Holy Spirit work? Well, the Holy Spirit works through these words. Through these words, we are reminded of what Jesus did and said. 
And at another level, the church has always said that they speak to us. They're not just about those people long ago. They're not just for that community that John wrote for. They're for all of us. And so we are the ones who now experience the risen Christ in our midst, however we understand that. These words are the words of promise that explain how that happens, how that legitimizes that experience, strange as that might be. And these are the words that the Holy Spirit speaks through to remind us of all that Jesus did and said. So, in light of all of that, what did you talk about? What is the word of Jesus? How do we hear it? How do we live it out? This word that we are reminded of. What did you talk about in your conversations? Can you remember that far back? It was only two or three minutes ago. Anyone like to share? So quiet. Yep. Okay. So those are important words. Yep. And in Jesus, in this story, he has just done that by washing his disciples' feet. So as I said last week, he took off the robe of importance, the robe of a rabbi, the robe of honour. He took on the robe, where well, no robe. So in humility, he washed the feet of those who would betray him those who would deny him, and those who would run away from him, desert him. So none of these people deserve to be treated well. Um, and yet Jesus washed their feet, Jesus loved them, and then he said, do as I have done. Which is pretty hard, because most of us like to only kind of love the people who have earned it freely or are worthy of it. That's how, that's how we operate. Anything else? Luckily, I have some thoughts. So I would suggest that this word of Jesus invites us into a deep love, into the deep love that exists between God the Father and Jesus, out of which Jesus lived and continues to live and continues to teach through the Holy Spirit. Jesus was immersed in it. He was shaped by it. So this is, it's the foundational love, really, the, the thing that, that Jesus lived in. And we are invited into it as well. And if I was to describe that love, I would describe it as loving unity. Which is tragic, really, because a lot of the time passages like this are used to justify division. So in our General Synod last year, this passage was one of the passages that was used to justify separation. We are now leaving you because you are not keeping Jesus' word. You are allowing gay and lesbian people to be part of this church in a way that we don't think is possible. So we will leave. And yet I would say that this word doesn't allow that. This is a word of loving unity and that we have to keep working at it no matter how hard it is. We don't have the right to just quit and walk away. And how would I describe that mutual love? Well, I would say it is where the Holy Spirit works to join us to each other 
in humility and respect and generosity and compassion and hospitality and grace and hope and justice and life. I think we forget that a lot in churches. Sometimes we think we need to be polite to each other, but actually we're invited to be a lot more than polite to each other. We're invited to be a body. And that means genuinely caring for each other. Now this is a relatively good parish at genuinely caring for each other. And there are much more dysfunctional parishes where they've forgotten how to care for each other. I've been dealing with an issue uh, in, an, in another part of the world. And in the end, it's, it's people who, who, who just need to learn how to care, really. How need, need to reframe how the relationships work from this is how it should be to how do we care for each other and build this community to work better. So this is a hard thing that Jesus is inviting us to, but it's a really important thing. Jesus summarizes all of this in the word peace, which for us often is translated as the absence of violence. And uh, sometimes we think we can impose peace with the use of force. But actually, in, in Jesus' world, the word peace is shalom, or salam in Arabic, comes out of the same word, which is much more than just the absence of violence. It's, it's wholeness, it's completion, it's, it's the world as it should be. And that cannot be imposed through violence. In Jesus' world, peace was the most visible form of peace was the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And that peace was imposed by violence and overwhelming military force. In between the life of Jesus and when this gospel was written, that peace flattened Rome and slaughtered its people and those that survived were taken off in slavery. That was peace. The way of Rome established. I don't know if this is apocryphal, whether it's true, but Donald Trump is said to have said about 13 years ago, America has become too kind, and we cannot be great and kind. We need to become much less kind if we are going to be great. That's the kind of peace that he wants. The same kind of peace. And there are lots of people that agree with him. So the, and there are lots of Christians that agree with him. Well, they say they're Christians. A really important aspect of this word, I would say, is that it, it invites us to be in community with each other. It is in community that we experience this word. It is in community that we hear this word, that we live this word. One of our deepest needs is companionship. I've read that in two different books in the last week. And it is in community that this need is met. In community, when that community is centred on loving unity. As a community, when we are centred on loving community, we join in the ongoing story of incarnation. We think that the incarnation is just the word becoming flesh in Jesus. But in this passage, Jesus said, we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Not, I'm going to take you to heaven and then you will come and be in our home, but we will come and make our home in you in the here and now. The incarnation happens through you and I. The ongoing story of incarnation. One of the people I read quoted an African proverb that said, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Community is what we are called to. And lastly, this is a word of hope. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. There is so much that could cause us to lose hope in this world today. The bishop's uh, just been to a, I'm quite jealous actually, he's been to a conference, a preaching conference in uh, somewhere in America. Uh, I'd love to go sometime. Um, and uh, he said that a lot of the conversations in the American church, they're catching up to us. So uh, they're a little bit frightened about the, about the future because suddenly their younger generations are not going to church. This is a new thing for them. The rest of the Western world is going, well done, come and join the rest of us. We have some things to teach you. When Bonnie and I were there last year, they were kind of a little bit freaked out about the millennials. The millennials aren't going to church. And I was like, well, we haven't got the boomers or exes or the millennials. So good on you. There's a lot to worry about aging churches because with aging churches, the people aren't there to do the things that need to be done just to keep the church going, let alone to engage in what we're here for. Puts pressure on finances, puts pressure on just things happening around the place. There's a lot to be worried about. On Friday, our young people reminded us yet again of climate change, that the clock is ticking. We don't have time to muck around. We actually do have to do something. We can't have philosophical debates about the best way to do this. We just need to crack on. There's a lot that we could lose hope about. But for me, this word invites us to not lose hope. In fact, to live in hope despite the evidence. To know that we are not abandoned. That the Spirit of God dwells in us and works through us. And so rather than living in, operating out of despair and self-preservation and animosity, which too often is how we function as a church and as a society, we're invited instead to live in hope, in companionship, in generosity. And that will not always be easy, because we are invited into the story of the Incarnation. And we know how that story went. It went from incarnation to crucifixion to resurrection to ascension and to us. And we are invited into the same story. It's not an easy story. So, for me, the word is all of that. And we are invited into that, to live out of that to live a different set of values in our world, in our church, in our society. So, what do you think? What stood out for you? What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? What do you take out of that? Turn around, talk to your neighbour for a minute or two, and then we'll have the prayers.